Good evening. Oh, that sounds like three people. Good evening. What a blessing it is to be here this evening, and uh, so good to see all of you that have come for this Wednesday night series, and we're thankful for the invitation to be with you. If you're happy to be here tonight, I want you to say amen. amen. If it's been a good day for you today, say amen. amen. If you know it's hot out here in West Texas, say amen, amen, amen. amen. I, am, uh, I had flashbacks driving in today. Well, I actually didn't drive. My wife drove me in. But uh, when coming into Abilene, I graduated in 1983. And I know I don't look that old, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. But I graduated in 83, and I tried to do the numbers in my head, and it's been 37 years or 38 years, somewhere in there since I've been to Abilene. Because once I graduated, I left and went back to uh, North Texas, and I started working at the college there with my father and worked there for 33 years. And so it's a good thing to be back in Abilene, and uh, nothing looks the same. So much has changed, uh, but we're glad to be here tonight. And I'm always glad to have my help with me tonight, and Jake uh, introduced her earlier, uh, but I, I just appreciate her so much. Uh, she's got a birthday coming up tomorrow, and uh, uh, we're going to celebrate her birthday tomorrow at home, bring all the family around. And also, uh, we were hoping, she has a new book out called uh, A Different Kind of Woman, and we were hoping to bring it tonight, uh, but they delivered it while we were gone, so we weren't able to bring it tonight, but we we're anxious to get back and, and see the finished product. It's a good thing to be here. I, I'm not going to stand here tonight, so you're going to have to follow me around, because I don't usually stand behind pulpits too much. I like to get down close where I can get to you in case you start nodding on me, I can just reach over and check here real quick. But it's good to be here tonight, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get started here pretty quick because um, I tend to be a long-winded preacher, but they won't let me do it tonight. Uh, I've been given good instructions. And, and really, I don't wanna be like the young guy who came to a church to preach, and uh, it was one of his first sermons, and he got up to preach, and he'd been up about 15 minutes, and. While he was preaching, the minister sitting about where these guys were sitting, he said, amen, preacher, come on, preacher. And he was really just trying to, you know, motivate him. And so the guy kept on preaching. He got to about 30 minutes, and the minister said, amen, preacher, come on, preacher. And he got to about 45 minutes, and then the minister kind of paused, and he said, amen, Pharaoh. <laughs> and the guy was so wound up, he just kept on preaching, kept on preaching. He got to about an hour and 10 minutes, and the minister sat, stood up, he wiped his eyes and acted as if he was crying. He said, amen, Pharaoh. And the guy couldn't take it anymore. He stopped his sermon. He said, sir, why do you keep saying amen, Pharaoh? He said, let my people go. <laughs> so this is my first time being here at Oldham Lane, and I'm, I don't know if there's anybody bold enough to say amen, Pharaoh, so I'm not going to take that, that chance tonight. But it is good to be here. I have a good friend that lives in this city. Uh, he's actually out of town right now, but you probably know him, Dr. Jerry Taylor. He's a professor out at ACU, and uh, he texted me. We were texting back and forth this morning, and I was doing some research on you guys. I didn't know where I was coming to. I asked him about the church, and he gave you a good report, and he said that back in 2003, when he first moved to the Abilene area, my dad did a meeting at this church. Does anybody remember that in here? Okay, I've got witnesses here. They, they, he did a meeting in this church, and he invited Jerry to come over 
to the meeting and they had a good, uh, good uh, fellowship and discussion after the meeting because Jerry is like one of my dad's sons uh, because he came through Southwestern. And so uh, I had no idea my father had been here, uh, but I, there are very few places I've been in the country and even out of the country that my father has not been to. And uh, he, he has preached for a long time. Uh, tonight, as I stand before you, I'm here because of him. Uh, just uh, about two months ago, I lost my mother. Uh, she, she passed and I eulogized her and committed her body back to the ground. And my father is uh, still alive, but they've been, they're aging. And my wife and I have been in this season of caregiving for aging parents. Her parents are aging and uh, my parents have been aging and it's been a difficult thing. Uh, with my mother gone, I, I preach with a broken heart now because I miss her and uh, you only have one mother and once they're gone, uh, it's, it's a feeling that you can't even explain to anybody unless you go through it. But I still preach because she urged me to preach my first sermon and I I, I was walking in the steps of my father who was following Jesus. And so the two of them are responsible for me being uh, in the ministry and being a preacher. And I have been doing this. I'm in my 41st year. And uh, I thank God for calling me into this, this great ministry. And outside of the spirit of God motivating me, I'm motivated by my late mother uh, and my father who is... Uh, he has dementia, and uh, we've been trying to care for him. And the only reason I tell audiences is this, because there are others of you out there going through the same thing, and I want you to know that with God's help, you can make it, you can do it. God will never put on you more than you can bear. And so be loving and kind and take care of your loved ones, even uh, when they cannot take care of themselves. Amen? Amen. Now. I do love hunting, fishing, and rodeo. Uh, these are my passions in life, and God blessed me with a woman that loves hunting and fishing. Uh, she's not quite as good as me yet, but she loves hunting and fishing, and I'm trying to get her in, get on the back of a horse, uh, because that, that's something I want her to, to learn to do and enjoy. Uh, but the reason I'm telling you about the rodeo part is because I came dressed casual, because your preacher told me we were pretty casual on Wednesday night. And he said I could show up in slacks and a polo shirt. Well, I don't own polo shirts. I, I have jeans and just a shirt. Is that all right, Max? Is it Max? Jake. Jake. Jake what? Sledge. Jake Sledge. Um, Chris told me that you would meet me here. But anyway, I, I'm telling you all this because I'm going to tell you a horse joke. Then we'll get right to my text. Uh, man had a beautiful horse out in the country. And... Uh, Guy went by the pasture and asked him, he said, how much for your horse? I'd like to buy him. And he said, well, he's going to cost you quite a bit. He said, well, why? He said, well, he's a very unusual horse. He said, how so? He said, well, he has special instructions. And if you want to get along with him, you have to remember the instructions. He said, well, tell me about this. He said, well, if you want him to go, you get on top. You don't just say, giddy up, giddy up. He won't go. You got to say, praise the Lord. He said, praise the Lord. He said, yes, he's a gospel horse. He said, a gospel horse? He said, yeah, and if you want to get along with him and you want him to stop, you don't just say, whoa, horse, whoa, he won't stop. You got to say, hallelujah. 
He's a gospel horse. The guy said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And he said, you know what, I'm going to buy your horse. And he bought the horse, took him home. Make a long story short, he turned him out. And about three months later, he wanted to ride him. He brought him in, saddled him up, put the bridle in his mouth, got on his back. And he said, giddy up, horse. That old horse just stood there. He kicked on both sides. Giddy up, horse. Horse wouldn't move. And then he remembered the instructions. He said, praise the Lord. And the horse started walking. And he started trotting, he started running and galloping, and they're, they're having a good time running wide open across this field. And the guy sees he's about to go over a cliff. And so as they get dangerously close to the cliff, he's pulling on the reins. He's saying, whoa, horse, whoa, but the horse won't stop. He's running wide open, and then he gets right to the edge of the cliff. He remembers the instructions. He says, hallelujah, and they stop right at the edge of the cliff. And the man said, praise the Lord. Now, for those of y'all that didn't get that, they went on over the cliff because the horse kept going. And I said all that to say this is if you can remember the instructions, and God has given us a book full of instructions, if you can remember the instructions, you can get from earth to glory. Tonight, as we uh, continue this summer series, your theme uh, appears to be the power of one and my, my task tonight is the power of one body. And uh, this is something right up my alley, but I want to do something a little different with this tonight because most people who come on a Wednesday night or Sunday night or regular in church, you know what the Bible says about the fundamentals of the faith. And so... Since my father came here years ago and did a meeting, I know you're familiar with his style of preaching, and I might, I might just for tonight do just the old style kind of preaching because we've got generations that are coming along that have never heard how the old guys used to do it. And uh, they were very scriptural, they were very biblical, they were very passionate, and that's not too... Uh, disparage the guys of today, you know, times change, methods change, but the doctrine does not change. But tonight we're dealing with the, the power of the one body, and some people may think this is not significant, but I'm, a, I'm blessed to travel extensively, both uh, in the states and out of the country, and there are people among us, even in our fellowship, who are not as sure about the oneness of the church. There are those who are beginning to say that you can be saved in other churches. And this preacher does not believe that, nor do I preach that. I preach only what I can find uh, recorded in the book. But there are those who believe that you, you don't have to be a member of any particular church, any particular body to be saved. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And we're living in an era now where people are growing up and are matriculating into life with this, this misnomer that you can be saved anywhere. And that's not, that's not biblical. It's not scriptural. It will not stand. If a man or woman stands with the word of God, you'll find that the Lord has but one body. And the power of Jesus Christ is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it brought to us, the kingdom of God's dear son, 
which is the body, which is the church, which is his house, which is his bride. And we must be firm in what we believe and we must be willing to stand firmly on it, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's uncomfortable. We must stand where the, speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where it is silent. And we find in our book called the Bible that there is but one body. Amen? Am I in the right place tonight? Because if not, you're going to learn something new tonight. But there's but one body, and there's power in that one body. But I'm going to do it in a different way, but let me take you initially to the scriptural uh, validation of the one body. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and those of you that are Bereans, you're students of the Bible, you're well aware of this text and I'm just going to let Paul speak. I'm going to let Paul speak, and then I'm going to take you back into the Old Testament and walk back up to the one body. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Get this now in verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Verse three is why we have Paul saying what he says in verse four, five, and six. There's to be unity in the house, in the church, in the body. And when you want unity, then everyone must choose and obey the same thing. So Paul comes up with verse 4 and says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Listen to what he says. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what, it, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. I really wish I could camp out there, but that would take us another hour and a half just to unravel all of that. But keep reading. He says in verse 11, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, it's very significant. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Then listen to what Paul says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying itself in love. Paul says we are God's one new man and with us being God's one new man 
There is but one body, but many members. It doesn't matter what color you are, what gender you are, what your economic background is. If you have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you put Christ on in baptism, if you have followed the biblical plan of salvation, you have been added to the church, added to the house, added to the kingdom, added to the body. Many members, but one body. And there is power in the one body because God blesses all of us with different abilities, different things to bring to the table, and he uses all of us as one body, Christ as our head, and we bring glory to him in the church. That's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 21. For unto him, he says, uh, for unto him... Lord have mercy, I got so many scriptures running around in my head. Let me just read it real quick. Thank God it's written down. Uh, unto him, there you go, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. The glory goes to God and it comes by way of man or the members in the body, connected to the body. Now let me show you one other scriptural thing, and then I want to go back into the Old Testament. Run over quickly to Romans. Well, let me show you two things. Romans chapter 12. Run to Romans chapter 12 real quickly here, because I want to nail down the fact that all of us are members of this one body, and God has given all of us different gifts, different things to bring to the table. Romans chapter 12 uh, let's start with verse number four, I believe, is what I want tonight. Listen to what Paul says. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to him, to every man, the measure of faith. For we, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. I wish I could camp out there, but I really want to get somewhere else real quick. So go with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to just uh, solidify this fact that we're all members of this one body and there is power in the body. But then I want to nail down the fact that there is just one body and it was prophesied. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit... Are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit? For the body is not one member, but many. And you've read this before. The foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not the body. It is therefore not the body. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not one of, not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members yet, but one body. And I, I, I would like to keep going to down to verse number 27, but let me do this tonight because my time is running out. What I want to... To, to nail down tonight is the fact that there is one body 
by which or in which you can be saved. And I want you to I want you to hear me clearly tonight. And this is not something that just started with the opening of the New Testament. Many think that when you run to Matthew 16, 13, and Jesus says, upon this rock I'll build my church, that that was the beginning of the oneness of the church or the kingdom. This thing was prophesied. God had this in mind before the foundation of the world. And I'm going to mess up some of the people in here tonight with my theology, but before Adam and Eve even sinned in the garden, Christ had already died on Calvary. And the reason I say that is because God is omniscient and he knew the only way he could reconcile man to himself was he would have to come in the form of Jesus. He would have to die on the cross of Calvary, be buried in a borrowed tomb, resurrected the third day, and then go back up into glory. So in God's mind, because he's omniscient, all-knowing, he knew that Christ would have to come and give his life on the cross of Calvary if there was going to be just one body and all the saved in that body. So the prophets prophesied about it. If you go back into our history, you'll discover that God has always uh, had a chosen people. The Israelites, after Adam and Eve, the Adam and Eve was God's first family, but after the Adam and Eve, the Israelites were God's chosen people and God even said to them at one time, because of my anger, my fury, and my wrath, because you cannot keep the law, I'm going to scatter you out into all parts of the world. But then God said prophetically through the prophets, one day I'll bring you all back together again in one place. You will be my children. You will be my people. I will be your God. God said, I will, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. And we're, we're recipients tonight of that everlasting covenant. We're in that kingdom. We're in that house, that church, that body that Christ is the head of. So he said, I'm going to scatter you out. Now, historically, when you look back at the life of Israel, Israel was divided in 931. You had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Then there were major invasions that would take the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom into captivity. In 722, the Assyrians came in and took the northern kingdom into Assyrian captivity. In 606, 597, 586, the Babylonians, who used to be a part of the Assyrians, they took the southern kingdom into Babylonian captivity and eventually... Children of Israel would scatter and be in all parts of the world. But remember the prophecy. God said, one day I'll bring you all back together again in one place. Now, time won't permit tonight, but there's messianic prophetical scripture uh, throughout the Old Testament. You've got Isaiah 2, 2, Daniel chapter 2, uh, Zechariah 16, Isaiah 27, 12, Jeremiah 31, 31, Jeremiah 32, verse 34 through 40. You can look at Haggai chapter 2, Micah chapter 4. All these scriptures point to the coming of Jesus, the coming of the kingdom, the coming of the Messiah, and there would only be one. If you go with me to that great dream that was uh, prophesied in, uh, what is that, Daniel chapter 2, you'll remember Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that night and it disturbs him and he calls his soothsayers together and he says, now fellas, listen, I dreamed something last night. It messed me up. I don't know what the dream was. I don't know what it meant. So you guys tell me what I dream and interpret it for me. 
They said, King, uh, if you just tell us the dream, we'll, we'll interpret it for you. He said, I told you, I don't remember what it was. It just, it messed me up in my spirit. And, and they said, well, King, we can't interpret the dream if we don't know what it is. He said, I'm going to kill you, your wives, and your children. Read it at your leisure, Daniel chapter 2. Well, that night, Belteshazzar, we know him as Daniel, heard what Nebuchadnezzar said to these soothsayers, and, and it included Daniel as well. And he talked that night with Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah. You know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. During the night, God gave the dream to Daniel and the interpretation. Daniel went back to Nebuchadnezzar. He interpreted this dream. He says, you saw in your dream the image of a man. It had a head of gold and breast and arms of silver and belly and thighs of brass and legs of iron, feet and toes of clay and iron. And he began to break that down for him. The head of gold represented the Babylonians. The uh, breast and arms of silver represented the Medes and the Persians. The belly and thighs of brass represented the Macedonians. The legs of iron represented the Roman Empire. All of this represented different kingdoms, but Daniel was showing that there's going to come a day when all kingdoms will be destroyed and there will only be one kingdom, there will only be one king, and he will be the head over that kingdom. He said, you saw in the distance a rock or a stone cut out of a mountain. It came down the mountain and it came down to the foot of this terrible image of a man utterly destroyed the image. All kingdoms were destroyed. Out of it, out of the destruction, you saw another mountain raise up. He said, you saw another kingdom, just one, that came into existence, and he said, it shall stand forever. This is prophecy. God is showing us that there will be only one house, one church, one kingdom, one body in prophecy. Daniel 2.44, the Bible says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall not be destroyed, and it shall not be left to other people, but it shall break into pieces and consume all nations, and it shall stand forever. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, Daniel said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, he came into the Ancient of Days. They brought him near before him that was given him dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all nations and languages should serve him, and his dominion was an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. The kingdom is the church. Somebody says, well, do you have New Testament scripture for this? Yes. Colossians 1.13, who had delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of God's dear son. I believe that the kingdom is the church and the church is the kingdom. And there are those who debate it, but I'm here to tell you the kingdom was already in existence in heaven. But you and I couldn't get into the kingdom until God came down in the person of Jesus Christ, died on the cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, resurrected the third day, went back up into glory. And then in Acts chapter 2, remember those Jews that were, disp that, were, that were dispersed all over the world? The Bible says in Acts 2, Luke says, on the day of Pentecost, he says, there was a mighty rushing wind that came into Jerusalem. Devout Jews from every nation under heaven were in Jerusalem on that day. And when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, immersed in the Holy Spirit, these men stood and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on that 
day. 3,000 obeyed the preaching of the apostles, and they were the beginning of the church, the beginning of the body, the beginning of the kingdom of God's dear son on the earth. And if you and I want to be saved, we must be in that body. We must be in that house. And that's why God gives every one of us different abilities to use to his glory and his honor. And I don't know if you know it or not, but the Lord is coming back for the body. He's coming back for the house. He's coming back for the bride. That's why he said in John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go, surely I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You'll remember after his resurrection, he gave the great commission to his holy apostles. He's getting ready to go back in the glory. They're standing outside uh, on the hills of Jerusalem, and he boards clouds and goes up into the heavens. He's going back to sit on the right hand of the Father. While he's going up, these men who had been following him were watching him go up. There were two men in white apparel in that assembly. Acts chapter 1, they said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into the heavens? That same Jesus you see going up, he's coming back again. I don't know about you, but I'm waiting on the Lord to come back. That's why I want to be in the right place at the right time, and I'm covered by his grace. I'm waiting on him. He's coming back. John said in Revelation 22, verse number, y'all don't mind me quoting scripture, do you? Y'all just looking at me. Okay, Revelation chapter 22, verse number 7, John quotes Jesus. He says, behold, I come quickly. He said, blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, heard these things. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then say the unto me, see thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren, the prophets. We both worship God. Then say the unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Listen to John. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. Then John quotes Jesus again in verse 12. Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I could quote the whole chapter. He says in verse 20, surely I come quickly. Lord, what are you saying? I'm coming back. He's coming back for his house, his kingdom, his church, his bride. And if you want to be saved, you need to be in the house, in the body, in the bride. You have to be a member of the Lord's church because there's only one and the power is in that one. Now, I want you to know this as I'm losing. I, I, I've never preached this fast in all my life. I, I want you to know this as I'm getting ready to close that when you come into the body, you come into a family of believers. As my wife and I came into this building, I didn't know a person in here, but I felt comfortable. I felt safe. There are those who are white. There are those who are black. There are those who are, are Latino. It does not matter if you're in Christ. I'm in Christ. We're both covered by the blood of Jesus, and that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And when you are in this family, then we all feel for each other your brother here I think you said is Max is that right Jake, Jake. I don't know why I want to keep calling him Max maybe because he looks like a Max all right Jake 
Jake said to me, Jake said to me back there, he said, he said, or he said up here, he said, I, I, want, I want to let you know that I, uh, uh, we're sorry that you lost your mother. He's reaching out to me. He's sympathetic toward me. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. But because we are in Christ Jesus, covered by the blood of Jesus, we are brothers in Christ. And when you are in Christ, you are interconnected wherever you go. We go out of the country. We go over into South Africa. People we don't know, but they are members of the body of Christ. So now they're our brothers and our sisters. We go to Italy. We go to other places. But wherever we find Christians who are covered by the blood of Jesus, we have brothers and sisters in Christ. So you ought to know that when we sympathize, when we hurt, we hurt with each other. When we rejoice, we rejoice with each other. At home, I was out one day, and I'm about to close because I got I to gotta let you go. I was, I was getting ready to try to build a pen for my horses. And so I live right by the railroad tracks, and I usually would drag some of the old railroad ties uh, back on my place. Whenever they would replace the railroad tracks with new ones, they'd leave the old ones there and just let them sit there and sit there and sit there. Uh, because they're no longer any good. So to build up my horse's muscles, I'd make him drag them. And I drug a number of those railroad ties back over on my place. And I dug me a hole and I dropped that railroad tie in there. And I'm trying to build a pin to catch my horses. And so I'm driving a nail into a two by four and trying to get it to go into that railroad tie. And anybody with good sense knows that you really can't get a nail to go into a railroad tie. And so anyway, I'm, I'm just driving that nail, driving it, something distract me. And I, I, I looked off just for a, a hot second, and I missed that nail and hit my thumb. Now, don't ask me what I said. That's between me and the Lord now. Listen. Okay, I'll tell you because it might hurt you. I said, ouch! And when I hit my thumb, pain went up the left side of my arm, up to my brain, said, hey, man. The thumb has been hit. And pain went down the left side of my body all the way to my toes. And my toes started wiggling because the thumb had been hit. And pain was going back up my legs and my knees caught my thumb like that and was trying to help it out. And that wasn't working. And so pain was on its way back up and my armpit caught it like that. And I'm dancing around and that's not helping it. And pain was going back to the brain. My mouth caught it like that. And it was trying to help it out, but that wasn't working. And so do you see what happened though? One little member on my body was injured, but my entire body was trying to come to the aid, to the rescue of that one member. God is fixed it so in the church that when you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, you've obeyed the gospel, you've done what the scriptures require, now you're in a family and when one hurts, we all hurt. When one is in sympathy, we all sympathize with them. When one is in bereavement, we are in bereavement with them. When one rejoices over a new home, a new car, a new job, a new baby, whatever it is, we rejoice with them because we're all tied in together and the power of one lets us know that we have the father as our creator we're reconnected to him we have Jesus who is our savior we've got the Holy Spirit that takes up residence in us goes with us everywhere we go we're in the church we have a family we are covered by grace we're covered by mercy we have the love of God everything we need is right here in the one house but it's important to be in the one. Y'all push me tonight. Lord have mercy. 
But I want you to understand, this thing was prophesied. And it came to fruition with the birth, the life, the death of Christ, his resurrection and his ascension back into glory. And today we have the house that Jesus built and that's where salvation is. Luke put it this way, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The saved are in the church. Am I in the right place tonight? Just shake your head one way or the other so I'll know that you're with me. And if you have questions afterwards, I'll be around for 15, 20 minutes. You can ask me any question you want to ask me concerning this because we're in an era now. We're in a, uh, a time frame where people are starting to acquiesce, compromise. They're starting to succumb to peer pressure. I believe, and I will preach it to the day I die, that the Lord has but one house, one church, one kingdom, one body, and the power is in that body. We're many members, but we are part of that one body, and he gives us our instructions. He gives us his authority. Is that all right? I'm going to extend the invitation. If you're here tonight and you want to be in this one body, simple plan, hear the gospel. I gave it to you already. Believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess Christ to be the Son of God and the Lord of your life, and we'll baptize you in water tonight according to the Scripture. There are those who are saying nowadays, baptism not essential to salvation. How in the world can you take baptism out of salvation if Jesus himself said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved? Amen. Stand on your feet right now. Come to him as we sing. Won't you come?